Hi, my name is Frank McKenna. I'm the Group Chair and Chief Executive of Downtown in Business. And I'm here to tell you about a fabulous Business of Sport conference that we're hosting on Thursday, the 7th of September at the Old Trafford Cricket Stadium, the Emirates Stadium. We've got an array of fantastic speakers for your enjoyment, including uh, former footballer turned Sky Pundit Gary Neville. Now, of course, many business interests as well. We have uh, Jamie Jones Buchanan, uh, former rugby league legend, and now he's taking his coaching and playing skills into the boardroom. And Montel Douglas, uh, athlete turned bobslayer turned gladiator. Many other great speakers as well along on that day for a conference that's uh, sponsored by Sedulo, by BDP, and of course by our good friends from VSI Executive Education. So that's Downtown and Business's Business of Sport Conference, Thursday the 7th of September, Old Traffic Cricket Stadium. Go to our website, downtownandbusiness.com. Go to the events section, book your tickets now. Hi, this is Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive Group Chairman of Downtown and Business. Delighted today to be joined by Yvonne Harrison, who's the Chief Executive of Women in Football. And what a timely fashion in terms of when this interview is going out, because of course, we're into the Women's World Cup. And indeed, when we recorded this interview, it was on the day that the Women's World Cup kicked off. It's a fascinating conversation uh, with a woman who's had uh, a really interesting uh, career journey to date. She's worked alongside some great people as well, including Chris Brindley and Gary Neville. She talks about the lessons she's learned from there, uh, her own sort of leadership style, the culture that she tries to embed within the organisation's in which she leads. And uh, yeah, as I say, really a great conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Yvonne Harrison, who's the Chief Executive of Women in Football, talking to me, Frank McKenna, in the Downtown Den. Hi, this is Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business, and I'm delighted to welcome to the Downtown Den today, Yvonne Harrison, who's the Chief Executive of Women in Football. Uh, this, of course, is our latest in our series of leaders, and Yvonne certainly sits into that category, and it's very appropriate that we speak to her today because we're recording this as the Women's World Cup kicks off. So, Yvonne, welcome to the Downtown Den. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And um, listen, people will hear an awful lot more about uh, women in f- women's football, women in football, when you come and speak at our Business of Conference event in September. Uh, but today, what I want to focus on really is you, your career, your leadership style, some of the tips and tricks that you can give people. And also, of course, um, try and drill into to perhaps... Uh, things that you've experienced that you think, oh, I'm not sure if I'd have done it that way. Um, so, Yvonne, let's let's start at the beginning. What sort of led you into this fabulous job as uh, Chief Executive of Women in Football? What were the early days of your career looking like? Um, yeah, a great question. I'll, I'll try and speed through through the years. Um, but I just always had a passion for sport. Like at school, I loved it. I just loved everything about it. And and when I sort of reflect back on those early years, even from primary school, gosh, it teaches you so much about life and skills that you never even knew that you needed. So 
I guess as I went through education and then I went to college, I did a sports related uh, GMBQ back in the day when they were a thing. Um, I then went on to uni at Salford, actually did a leisure management degree. Um, and I just knew that I wanted to work in sports. So I had the option to do a work placement um, in my second year. And I, at the time, I live in Manchester. Um, the Commonwealth Games was coming to Manchester, so I'll age myself now. And um, I was just like, I have to, I have to just get involved in that. Um, and I remember ringing up the Commonwealth Games office, and at the time there was like two people that worked there, and they were just like, "We're really not big enough yet. It's you sort of a year too early." Um, and I was gutted, and I came across this this thing called the Yellow Pages, which. If there's anyone young watching, it'd be like, what is that? Uh, but people of my era will be like, right, yeah, Yellow Pages. Um, and I came across a charity called Greater Sport, who I'd never heard of, but they were based in um, Gorton, actually, which is not far. It's like a 10-minute bus ride from my house. So, you know, me logistically as a teenager thinking, perfect, like 10 minutes away instead of trekking to Salford, I'll go there. Um, so I did a work placement with them and it really opened up my eyes. This was an organisation that worked right across grassroots sport predominantly, worked with all of the national governing bodies, with Sport England as the major funding body distributing lottery funding, and just had massive connections. And I just thought, yeah, you know, this is the kind of place it's going to really help me with my career in sport. And I didn't know where that was going to go, but I just knew I wanted to be in that environment. So I volunteered them for the next 18 months whilst finishing my degree, did all sorts of different things for them, then got some small paid work, um, left uni, had two job interviews on the same day, one for the Commonwealth Games, one for Greater Sport, got offered both of them. And then I was in a right quandary because which way do you go? You know, that first big decision really of your adult life and um yeah I actually I actually took the job with Great Sport as an assistant club and volunteer development officer and the best the best move I ever made you know I, I was sad to not be going kind of into that Commonwealth Games environment but when I stripped that event away Great Sport have been really loyal to me they taught me loads and I knew that that's where where my future would be and sort of fast forward uh, probably 10 years and I became the CEO and it, it, it was an amazing thing to go through a number of different roles and actually um, I guess one of the things I've learned along the way is that progression and that understanding of different people's roles within your organization because I've probably done four or five roles within within the organization. I hit a senior management position quite early and that was challenging in different ways because you know when you're young and you hit uh a position of responsibility like that. Some people um, can really kind of frown on that. Um, and I felt a lot of pressure as a young person in a senior management team of three, um, which led me to do a second master, uh, a first master's actually at Bolton Uni in community development because it was kind of like, oh, this give you a bit more credibility. Probably not the right rationale for doing a master's, but but I I did it and it was it was useful to a point because it served that purpose and that really was my motivation there. Um, great sport was amazing. Absolutely loved it. Um, learned so much in that first CEO role. You can never be prepared enough for those roles until they come. And, you know, it's a steep learning curve um, for me. Humility and, and wanting to do the best that I can do has always been something that sort of followed me. And, and I learned a lot because I had great people um, around me. I then moved on from there. I was headhunted by um, Gary Neville, actually. And um, 
a long, long, long story short, had met him three years previous to Howard Bernstein had introduced me, uh, connected to some of the work that I was doing at Greater Sport and we're looking for sort of an ambassador for that. Gary, uh, I'm a Liverpool fan, just to be clear. So that was a challenge meeting him. Uh, my dad was not very impressed. And, um, you know, I met him, had a great conversation with him. And I was really impressed by the fact he said, you know, it's amazing what you're doing, Yvonne, in Greater Manchester. And, you know, I'm super passionate about Manchester. However, um, I don't tend to just put my name to things. Um, you know, I, when I'm doing something, I really want to make a difference and give back. And he started talking about this idea of, you know, how the class of 92 could give back and what that might look like. So it quickly shifted from an ambassador to maybe there's something in the future around this. And I just kept in touch because the timing wasn't right. Um, but I just kept in touch with him and every now and then dropping him a note, how's it going? Just, you know, blah, 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 this is happening. Um, anyway, that led to, to a job offer um, a, a number of years later. And that was on the back of me doing a second master's actually at uh, Manchester Met um, in sports directorship. And I guess in terms of the career journey piece, the motivation for that was really a different network. So I'd worked in grassroots, community, voluntary sector, public sector for my whole career, actually. And I wanted to see, can I work in professional sport? I, I'd really like to, but I didn't really have a network that was in that space. So I guess my motivation for doing that, it's a long and expensive way of doing it, was to kind of grow that different sort of network and um, lots of sort of things aligned. And as a result of that, I did a mass, uh, I did my dissertation and it was all around um, corporate social responsibility and particularly in football and looking at how, how you would do that from scratch. You know, is it about serving funding bids and ticking boxes or is it genuinely about understanding the community's need and how you best address that without duplicating everything else that's going on? Because there's enough people in our community, sadly, that need support and there's a place for everybody to deliver that. And you should do it in a collaborative way is, is my view. And again, collaboration is really uh, important to me. Um, so I um, did did uh, the Masters. It was great. I got this new job as Managing Director of Project 92, working across different portfolio for, for Gary Neville and the Class of 92, particularly looking at their new educational institute, uh, UA92, some stuff around the Football Academy and some new, new, new and exciting products. And, you know, fast forward a little bit again, COVID hit. Um, that was, that was a tough time. And I was working on a big global, um, proposition, which, you don't know when the world's going to open up. You know, it definitely became that thing. And at that time, I had a conversation with Gary around, I'm not somebody that's going to just sit still and wait. Um, as much as my husband was like, keep your head down. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, this project is amazing and it will work, but it's not going to work now. And I'm sort of just sat here. So um, maybe it's best for me to leave which is a big, bold move, actually, uh, when you've got a mortgage and three kids and everything else. But I've always kind of wanted to work for myself. Um, never really had the, I guess, the bravery, courage to do it because it's it's a big move. Um, so I set on my own consultancy. Gary was brilliant. I left on fantastic terms. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm chair of their foundation. And, and the work we do across Salford and Greater Manchester is Foundation 92 is amazing. Left there, set up on my own company called Strive. Um, with a Y for Yvonne, obviously. Um, and, you know, my whole ethos of that was be better, do better. You know, as an individual or as a business, my job is to help you be that. Um, and obviously a lot of my clients were in the sporting world, but also around governance actually and and how to do and how not to do things, uh, which is quite interesting when you see uh, some bad practice in business and charities. Um, and that was that was my 
career plan, I guess. Right. You consult there, crack on. Um, I did coaching qualifications, so I did a lot of coaching, mentoring in business, which is really important to me. It's something that I really care about, making a difference to other people um, and helping them uh, to be better and do better. Um, and then and then I got a call about the women in football job. Um, and um, the recruiters I'd spoken to about another role. And I was like, I'm not really looking for a job. You know, this is what I'm doing. And like, just meet me for a coffee. Um, and I'd seen the role and I'd looked at the role and I was really interested in the role. But I'd set on my business. I was 18 months in and I didn't feel like I didn't want to stop that. I didn't want to let that down. Um, you know, you run your own businesses. It's hard. Uh, it's really hard graft. There was a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into that. Um, so, yeah, I had the coffee, uh, grilled him about the board and, you know, what their approach would be. Because actually, in terms of the leaders I'd worked with, you know, the chairman at Greater Sport, Chris Brindley at the time, and then and then Gary. And I had people who gave me the brief and let me crack on. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't say I'm particularly conventional in the way that I would necessarily do things, but they believed in me and I had a lot of freedom. Um, and and a lot of success um, as a result of that and the great people around me. So I was really mindful that if I was to go into a new role with a board, they had to be kind of on my wavelength, if you like, and not that micromanagement. It just wouldn't work for me. Um, anyway, they gave me every confidence. I threw my hat in the ring. I thought, see what happens. Um, and the rest is history, as they say. So I've been doing that role for about 18 months now. And unbelievable like I'm so enjoying it I love having a team again that's one thing that I really notice when you work for yourself like it's quite lonely and you're sort of starting and helping other people but you're not seeing the end product and my I guess my energy comes from supporting other people and getting everyone on the bus and let's go even if they don't know where they're going like they're getting on it uh, and and I love the buzz of that so yeah it's been amazing and obviously the women's Euros, what a great time to come into the role. And now today the Women's World Cup's kicking off and England's first game on Saturday. So yeah, super exciting and, and loving it. And that's a whistle stop of where it started and where we are. Fascinating and fabulous uh, progression that you've made. Obviously, I think there's a couple of things that stand out for me, Yvonne, in terms of the comments that you've made. You like to be in jobs where you can make a genuine difference. Um, you've talked about having the ability to go off and do things without somebody watching you over your shoulder. So I don't think you'd be particularly good at being micromanaged, if that would be a fair comment, wouldn't it? Um, and then the other thing that you said um, in terms of your first role was the fact that you were, you know, relatively young uh, and you progressed quite quickly in the team. And I just wonder whether you think that we give young people generally enough opportunity to step up um, because, you know, I think that we have an awful lot of conversations rightly about diversity of boardrooms in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity, but we don't really talk about age profile. And like you, uh, I was in a leadership position at, at quite a young age uh, and it brings its own challenges, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you've got different intersections of that as well. You know, um, you go into some rooms and your accent is a thing. Um, your gender is a thing, uh, you know, particularly for women, I think. In my career, certainly, and certainly in those younger years, you were going into rooms predominantly filled with white men. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with white men, just to be really clear. But, but actually, you <laughs> stood out immediately when you walked into those rooms. 
And then because often the thinking is different, uh, the way we process thoughts is different as women and men, um, emotional intelligence levels are different. You you would pick up on things and you you would want to question. I remember sitting and wanting to question things or say something, but not having the courage to do it because everybody, you know, the whole room turns around and looks at you and it's like, but then the person next to you says it and it's the best idea ever. And you just think, why didn't I? So I guess as I've gone through and watched other people, I mean, observation is a great learning tool, I have to say. And, you know, I use that a lot in terms of whether that's public speaking stuff, whether that's kind of how you operate in the boardroom and really just trying to understand how people get messages across, how you can be concise and um, land the message with the impact and then, or, or sow the seed or ask the right sort of question. I think to your point, um, we don't do enough to encourage younger people. Um, and actually, that's more important than ever now for me from a business point of view, because we're in a world where actually post-COVID, you know, everybody, but particularly younger people are really considering where do they work? And actually, they don't stay in places that long is the trend. Um, so you're only going to get people for a short amount of time. But there is a market which is, well, why should I come and work for you? And I actually think that's great like challenge me because I challenge people why would I work for you and not them you know what is it you're going to give and for me like anybody that works for me because I care about you like as a human being on a human level like obviously you've got to have the right skills to do the job but my job as the CEO is to develop my people to be the best they can be for my organization and when it's the right time for them to go to help them move on to that next best thing because ultimately particularly in sport it's a very small world so i've got people all over the place that have worked with me and for me who are doing amazing things now and you create this network of people who appreciate and respect the support that you have given them i think in a boardroom context the digital skills the way that consumers are interacting buying purchasing is so so different now to 20 years ago and and that knowledge is is vital so i have um alongside obviously that that career journey if you like uh, to a linear point i was also very mindful when i was at great sport that i've been in the role and the same organization for a long time 14 15 years is a long time and i'd gone for a couple of roles um with national governing bodies in terms of ceos and some of the feedback that i'd had was around we know you can do it there, but you know everyone, you've done everything. Can you do it somewhere else? So I'd also sort of started to create this portfolio of, you know, first of all, being on a committee, then maybe chairing that committee, then looking at trustee roles, non-exec roles and things like that. And and you learn a lot there as well about what's good and what's not. Um, and, and also how to conduct yourself in, in those sorts of boardrooms. And actually, subsequently, um, I work with a company called Board Connect and we set up this digital platform. And we are very much looking at that younger market to go, how do we support younger people within this experienced pool of non-execs or older people with experience who are wanting to become non-execs or develop that portfolio career. How do we do that really well? Because um, those skills are important, but you also have to equip people with the confidence to be able to kind of ask the right questions and land those messages without feeling like I did when I was 22, 23. And just, you know, um, regardless of gender, regardless of, you know, of ethnicity or, or anything else. So I, I personally feel a huge responsibility to support other people, which is why 
when I set up on my own, the first thing I did was invest in a coaching qualification. Because although I've supported people through mentoring and stuff like that, I didn't have any qualifications in that. And for me, my confidence comes from knowledge and that experience and also that assurance that for other people, well, she's actually qualified in this as well. It's not just it's not just experience. Now, I've worked with some brilliant coaches who are not qualified in coaching, but just absolutely amazing. But for me, that was important. So I always look to support people. And even though I can't always do it immediately, because, you know, life is busy with a full-time role, family and, uh, and other commitments, I'll always find time for people to have certainly an initial conversation and just sort of share share my thoughts on on where they're at. Mm. And during those early years, again, you've mentioned a couple of things there in terms of obviously being often, I guess, the only woman in the room. Um, then the accent, which is something all Northerners, I think, have a little bit of a thing about uh, from time to time. Um, was imposter syndrome a problem for you, Yvonne? I think it has been at various points throughout my career. And even coming into this role, in fairness, you know, you've got a, a, a career with lots of successes behind you and you, know, you should be going into a new role thinking, yes, but actually it's a new organisation, a new team, a new board. It's a remote organisation, never worked in one of them before. And yes, don't get me wrong, we've all kind of moved more digital as, as um, we went through that COVID period. But I'm somebody who... I will walk into an office and with my team and I will know if something's wrong with one of them people within minutes. And I'll be like, oh, I'm going to go make a cuppa. You want to come with me? Like, we'll have a little chat. Whereas other colleagues, I've gone, what's up with them? And they're like, what do you mean? They're not, not like, they're not right. Yeah, the fact. And it's like, you know, just chalk and cheese. And, you know, everyone can't be the same. And actually, you don't want them to be either. But at the same time, knowing and being able to pick up on those things. So I think... And also for me, really interestingly, like my whole career has been in sport, but not specifically football um, and definitely not around women's football. You know, I was a football fan, but I didn't know too much about the women's game. I'd not been to loads of women's games. And although we work in football and most of our members actually as women in football work in the men's game, um, I felt a huge responsibility to be able to represent the game um, it was a big, big, big learning curve, particularly going into, I think day three, I was on BBC Red Sofa about an article. It's quite sexist that the son had written um, and, you know, calling that out. Day three, I was so like, I just, I had to go, when I got told, I just went for a, like a run, a jog, whatever you want to call it. But I was like, I need to just clear my head. Like, this is a big deal and I don't want to let anyone down. Um, so that imposter syndrome is definitely something. And actually from our members as women in football, it's one of the main things that people on our leadership course talk about. Just should I be here? And, it, and actually it's a lot of evidence that sits behind that, particularly for women. Um, you know, we've all heard that anecdote around, you know, men applying for jobs when they got 50, 60% for women, they need 80, 90, 95% to apply for a role. And, and actually why? Because we bring so much more than just some of those essential skills. So I think yes, throughout my career and yes, still different situations, new situations, you question. Uh, and when things are hard and you've not experienced something before, you question, can I do this? Um, but you then have to draw back on the the belief that you've done all of these things all of the time and you've got successes. And actually, where things don't go great, you learn from your failures. You know, if you fail the same way five times, then seriously need to have a look at that. But actually, 
those failures, if you like, are the biggest lessons and they're what create the greatness in the future. And so I think there's part of that. And then I think, you know, from an imposter syndrome point of view, just have a great network because I've got amazing people, you know, my family, but also some brilliant uh friends in a whatsapp group and you know if one of us is going for an interview or got a tough conversation to have you just bang it in there and it's ping 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 and you just know they're going to carry carry you through so i think that network and surrounding yourself with good people is is really important and particularly important for women actually mm. and um you've mentioned a couple of names there big characters um who you worked alongside in Chris Brindley and Gary Neville, both obviously very successful in their own right. But the things that you learned from them, Yvonne? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, I was blown away with Gary and his his vast array of businesses and ideas and things that he's involved with. But connected to that, the level of detail that he's able to have and understand around their business. You suspect there's more than one Gary Neville. Do you think he's cloned himself? Because I, I don't know. <laughs> one is more than enough. Um, no, he's, he's great, actually. But um, <laughs> take the Man United thing aside, and he's a wonderful person. Um, very generous, very giving, very, you know, actually really caring, really caring individual. Um, and I remember, you know, going back to the imposter syndrome and remember being in conversations, negotiations about my role and. I just said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not from football, though. And, you know, just and I just kept making excuses as to why not. And he was like, well, I recruit great people. I'm, I'm not bothered that you're not from football. Like, you're going to do a great job. And I really sort of appreciated that in him. So that that belief, he was also somebody who gave you the brief and then crack on. But when you knew if you come into a meeting with him, like you needed to know the detail because he would ask about it, particularly around the financials and rightly so. And that's why, you know, ultimately he's so successful. With Chris, I worked for him with him for a long time, both when I was the CEO, but also as deputy CEO before that. And he's somebody who I have so much admiration for um, in a different way to Gary. And he has been so successful in business. He taught me so many lessons. Like whenever we used to sit down pre-board and talking about stuff or just a general catch-up, you know, I'd have my notepad and I'm writing stuff. He's talking about this model and that model. And, you know, and for somebody that didn't go through a traditional route in terms of university education, like he's self-taught and he's unbelievable. And, you know, I class him as a real true friend. Um, and he taught me a lot around that network um, and building that network and joining the dots, but also like... I guess the things that get you from, yeah, anyone can be, not anyone. There are lots of people who can be great CEOs or great middle managers. But what gets you to that next level? And, you know, actually, number one, Yvonne, you've always got to be really good at what you do. Like, be amazing. Don't give anyone an excuse. The second thing, like really think about your business performance in the same way you think about your own kind of image. And by that, I don't mean what you look like, but actually, what do you want people to say about you in your professional capacity when you're not in the room? Like, What is that image? Because you have to create that and you have to craft that and you have to talk to people about, you have to land those messages and then they need to sort of uh, reiterate them. And then when you know and you're really clear around that, you know, who do you need to tell? And he needs to tell that story for you. And that was a real 
that was a real game changer actually for me in terms of some of the stuff I'd done maybe as deputy CEO to then stepping up to be the CEO and you know we went through a very rigorous process with that and um I prepared a lot like I have a busy life and with the kids and stuff so I had like post-it notes all over my office of the things that maybe I'd get asked in the interview and this that and the other and I I was literally obsessed (laughs) and I thought you know I went into that interview and I thought I can't do any more like I lit there's no stone unturned if I don't get the job you know it's going to be a real tough one for me but I couldn't do any more and I think he always talks about that you've got to be prepared. And, you know, he, he often recites that, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And I know that's not his phrase, but, but you know, little things like that nuggets have stayed with me even into this day. And when I speak to people in coaching or mentoring conversations, I hear myself reiterate. So he's been a massive influence um, in my life, a good human, but also, you know, challenged me sometimes um, very uncomfortably. Um, and I don't like that at all. Um, but were important lessons and conversations to be had, really. Um, but always came out of it. It would always have your back. You know, you'd have those private conversations, but in the boardroom, to absolutely have your back because he knows that you get it, you understand. And that, that goes to the lessons and the learning and, you know, people sharing their wisdoms um, along the way. But cares about people, again, same as Gary, um, massively important. For me, people first always, because nothing else is going to land the way it could without people on the boss, genuinely trusting you and wanting to do those things for you, not because they're getting paid, but because they want to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Yvonne, we've come to the session now where we're going to have a quick break because I think what you've encapsulated in that sort of first part of the conversation is some great experiences that you've drawn upon. Um, you've given us, as you say, a whistle-stop tour of what has been a fascinating career so far. And what I want to do in part two is see what those lessons you've taken, how you've applied them as a leader, what your culture uh, is in terms of a business leader, uh, and perhaps one or two things you've seen along the way that you think, hmm, I don't think I'll do it that way. So uh, we'll take a short break. Grab a quick cup of tea and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Hi, my name's Frank McKenna. I'm the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. And if you're not a member of DIB yet, why not? You are going to miss out on a sensational September of events. We've got events right across the country and we'll be speaking to some really influential politicians, including the Shadow Business Secretary, Johnny Reynolds, the Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting, and the Shadow Justice Minister, Steve Reid. We've also got the property entrepreneur, Chris Oglesby, doing an event for us down in Birmingham. And we've got a whole range of other speakers, chief executives of local authorities, other business leaders, other politicians, coming in to share their thoughts and opinions with the Downtown Network. You go to our events section on our website, all the W's downtowninbusiness.com, then you will see what a fantastic range of events we have coming up in September. And if that's not enough to tempt you into a membership, then wait to see what we've got coming in the remainder of the autumn. We've got awards events happening in Manchester, Birmingham and Liverpool. We've got the two leaders from Liverpool and the Liverpool City region, Liam Robinson and Steve Rotherham joining us for a very special breakfast forum. We've got the Education Minister, Gillian Keegan, doing us an event at the Conservative Party conference. We've got Andy Street, the regional mayor from the West Midlands, 
in a breakfast event with us too. So a whole range of great people, great events, great networking. Join Downtown in Business today. And as I say, visit our website and see some of the fantastic events that we've got for your pleasure happening in autumn 2023. Okay, welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Yvonne Harrison, who's the Chief Executive of Women in Football. So in the first part of our talk today in the downtown, Dan Yvonne, you've told us about the career to date and uh, this fabulous new role that you've landed as Chief Executive of Women in Football. I don't suppose there's a better time to have got that role, actually, is there? As you mentioned, you know, the game's never had the profile that it's got now, has it? It's fabulous. Yeah, uh, it's been unbelievable, actually, to see the growth of the women's game. When you think the league, you know, the Barclays Women's Super League and the Championship were only really a thing five years ago, it's it's phenomenal to think of the success uh, last summer. And obviously the Women's World Cup will hit differently. It's, it's in Australia and New Zealand. It's the first time I think there's been two, two um, countries hosting. Um, bigger event but it's not here you know it's in the mornings the games pretty much there's a couple in the afternoon so it will feel very different it'll feel very different for the lionesses actually in terms i'm sure they'll have an you know amazing support um but yeah the women's game is growing uh significantly and it's wonderful to see but there's lots and lots of challenges uh within the game and obviously karen carnage review was just uh, released last week so there's a there's a lot of recommendations that have been made and obviously the whole football ecosystem now is looking at well how how do we support that i think interestingly for me um you know women in football works with women right across the game and we have a number of corporate members within the corporate member family and you know we are not just focused on women's football and the majority of our members work in the men's game i think that will shift a bit as as more and more roles become available within the women's game because that infrastructure is obviously growing now um which is which is great to see as well and but the important thing is that women working in football have a choice about where they work there's almost sometimes an assumption that oh well, women can go and work in women's football now because you know it's actually i'd like to choose where I would like to work, you know, same as in any other industry and and rightly so. So there is a little bit of that that we're just kind of having to to navigate with some of our members, but we've got 8,000 plus um, strong United voice. Um, and actually to be a member of women in football, you don't have to be female anymore. And, um, you know, we have uh, male allies, we have non-binary allies who are members of women football because actually we're championing gender equality within the football industry and not the women's game. But you're right, it's been an unbelievable time to come into a new role um, like this and build from the great work that Jane Purden previously had done. Um, we are growing, our team has doubled, you know, our revenue is significantly increasing. Um, it's just the, the the ability to keep up uh, with the pace really and make sure we've got those solid foundations. So when we deliver, um, as we've always done, you know, we do so with such high quality and and uh, with great kind of feedback. We don't want to be over-promising and under-delivering. That's never never a thing that's going to happen on my watch. So, so yeah, it's about building steadily and not going too far too fast and, and make sure we can't fulfil, you know, ultimately what we're here to do. It's interesting what you say about the crossover into sort of men's, women's games because it's not unusual to find a man managing a women's team, but we've not seen that happen yet the other way around unless I've missed something. We certainly haven't seen it at the sort of Premier League level, championship level. Do you think that'll happen? It's inevitable, isn't it, Yvonne? 
I think it has to be inevitable. Um, we've we've seen some moves this season. Certainly, you've got Lydia Bedford now at under twenty ones at Brentford and their men's side. We had Hannah Dingley at Forest Green Rovers, just uh, only an interim. Um, they've now just appointed, um, I think, Southampton's B team um, coach has gone in as the as the sort of permanent um, fixture. So we're starting to see that. But there's some unbelievable talent. You know, if you look at the likes of Emma Hayes and and others within the women's game um, so I think it's a matter of time the difficulty is the pressure laid on any one of those I mean the the media um, hoo-ha when Hannah took over as interim at Forest Green Rovers um, maybe two weeks ago was unbelievable and it's a lot you know it's a lot and actually is it is it unusual for an academy manager, which, by the way, that's what Hannah is, um, she is an academy manager, to take an interim role at a football club as head coach while they bring go through a recruitment process? No, it is not. So it isn't unusual for somebody to move from that role into that role and then back to that role. But it was the first time it's ever happened uh, with in terms of a female in that in that sort of position. So it, it you know rightly um, got a lot of attention, but but that is a lot for an individual. So whoever that first female is, it's going to be tough um, because if we look at football, most managers get sacked. Yeah, like honestly, that's what happens. Um, but when the first female manager gets sacked, oh well, you could I can already see all of the rubbish on on socials and stuff, and it's wrong. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of frustrations, but it will happen. And we've seen with NFL and other sports, you know, that, that they've tried and then sort of regrouped and gone again. It, it can happen successfully, and I'm, I'm sure it will here. It's a little bit depressing that we're still in that space. If I'm honest, you know, it's 2023. But, hey, it was only very recently, and I didn't appreciate this. Like, women's football had been banned, hadn't it? You know, and kids weren't, you know, girls weren't allowed to play it in schools, and then there was this big camp. I mean, that, to me, you know, I know rightly people were celebrating the fact that that had been overturned, but I was sort of saying we shouldn't be celebrating that. You know, that's just nuts that we're still in that place in the 21st century. Yeah, it's insane, really, and and banned for fifty years. And it's really interesting because when you look back in in the history of the women's game, um, you know, it became quite a big thing um, during the kind of war period, actually. And I think I read that Dick Kerr ladies had had fifty, fifty three thousand, something like that, watching them play at that time. So you think about that, and then banned for fifty years, and then you sometimes get this. Well, the women's game's small. I mean, we weren't. We heard from the lionesses having to pretend to be boys to play, and then getting rumbled, and then you know getting abuse from parents because their their boy got beat by a girl. And heaven forbid. And it's kind of like, gosh, come on. Um, plus side is, you know, luckily in this country, you know, the FA has, has not only created a strategy; they've created an investment base, and actually, we've seen we've seen um, the success of the sort of England setup re- really sort of motor on, and with the likes of Barclays coming in as headline sponsors and really getting behind not only the professional league, Barclays are our league partner as well. Um, you know, they really care about 
the development of the game. But there's such a huge opportunity. I mean, I read that um, within this Women's World Cup, FIFA are expecting over two billion, um, you know, people viewing it on the TV. It's the biggest World Cup yet. Thirty-two teams involved. Um, you know, it's it's really exciting. And some of the brilliant teams. The challenge that I think we'll have is because they've increased the numbers of teams. You are going to see a bit of a gulf between those top nations where there is a strategy and there's investment from the federations and those that this is going to be the first time they'll have ever been involved like that. So that sometimes isn't helpful from a point of view of, um, you know, people going, oh, the standard of women's football. I mean, we've seen the standard of women's football. We've seen, I mean, don't know if you've seen the France advert um, that's been yeah. been all over social media where, you know, with amazing tackles and goals and this, that and the other, and they've basically superimposed the male team onto that. And then they play it again, but it's actually the female play. It's like, it's almost like this conscious bias that exists um, is a very, very real thing. Yeah, but for... For those teams that maybe Haiti, uh, Panama, that have never played before and are unlikely to be particularly successful in it and may get hammered by some of, you know, that, that's our opening game is England, you know, you would anticipate we're going to put a few few goals past them. Um, it's still a really important thing that they're here and that the, the competition has expanded because it shows that there is investment in those countries um, and the opportunities for girls and women to play the game. The other big thing is obviously FIFA are paying um, some of the players directly because previously not all federations have been fair and right with and transparent with the investment that FIFA have given them to support the players and development. It's gone into other things. So um, it's quite a landmark uh, tournament, this. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to be great. And, you know, we just had the first game. I think it was it was 1-0 when I, when I left it. Uh, so uh, I, I think that, that would be historic for New Zealand if they've kept that scoreline. Um, that's the first time they will have ever won. Uh, a group game at the World Cup, which is which is amazing for them, obviously, and it's in their their home country. Well, well, listen. As I say, you've got this fabulous job at a fabulous time in terms of the women's game, women in football, chief executive. But I want to drill in now to um, your leadership style uh, and the culture of the business that you want to develop. And just tell me a little bit about what that looks like. What does good look like to to you, Yvonne? I think for me, from a from a leadership perspective, I am somebody with very high empathy. Um, I've been psychometric tested to death. Uh, that's a very, you know, very obvious thing for me, um, but it matters. Um, so I have a lot of self-awareness in terms of my preferences and styles. And, and also I understand what's difficult for me um, in terms of, you know, having hard conversations, tough conversations with people, maybe won't take that feedback. Great. You know, like I really plan and prepare for for those kinds of things where it's possible to do so. So for me, in terms of my leadership style, knowing myself is really important and then understanding and caring about getting to know the people that I work with. And that's been an interesting challenge in a remote organization, actually. You know, I've been and I've been to see people where they live and, you know, have those conversations. That's important to get to know them, what makes them tick, but also their aspirations. So a big thread for me is people first, always. Um, because I know the difference that that makes. And I also speak to people who are maybe in organizations where you don't have that. And actually that job satisfaction, that value, no one's going to go the extra mile for, for a leader like that. The The other thing I like to do is is to ensure that, you know, just because you've got a CEO title, 
Like, so what? Like, you're not, if you are the only leader in that organization, your organization has got a problem. Yeah, everybody is experts in their own right. If I need something around our commercials, I go to our commercial manager. If I need to know something about our Marcoms or our CRM, I go to our marketing manager. Like, I'm not an expert in all of these things. I can't be. What I'm really good at is joining the dots, creating that platform and that environment for people to be able to thrive. That's really important to me. Um, And actually, being able to kind of consider where we need to be and the tactical steps we need to get there. Very much somebody who, and I think it's one of the reasons I was appointed into this role, very good at stakeholder management, really invest time in that because the big picture is no one is going to be able to solve the world's problems on its own, uh, particularly football, particularly when you look at something like gender equality. Football industry is a very male-dominated environment. And whilst there's a lot of willingness to change, there's also hesitance to uh, from from equally as many, if not more people. So, you know, it's a long game here and, and the tactics on that are sort of really important. So always people, always striving to do better and, and, and living that. Um, I am somebody who is, if I don't know, you know, I will say, I, I'm probably too honest in some ways, but I will say, you know, I'm not sure, like, let me come back to you. Or um, if somebody asks me something I'm not expecting and I kind of need a bit of a, a minute, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm not giving you a straight answer now. I need to have a think. I like to lead with a collaborative style. I like to get consensus generally I certainly like to hear from people I want people's opinions I want to know who's for it who's against it who's and understand why um and then ultimately the 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 decision sits with me and all the board depending on you know the level of of that decision but that's really important to me um I think my super strength is probably dot joining I just love a good Oh, link that to that and do this to this. And and actually, in terms of that wider portfolio of stuff that I've been involved with, in terms of uh, NED and trustee stuff, everything complements, you know, that company, Y Sports, there and their, their conference worked really well with the role I was doing at Great Sport. Board Connect, something I'm passionate about, getting more diversity into those boardroom sort of situations. Foundation 92, it's that purpose piece, it's giving back. It's keeping me understanding what that national policy is and actually how we make sure we can we can do that, which actually when you come into a role like CEO of Women in Football, which is about the football workforce, it's really important, I think, that you're not one-dimensional on that because the future workforce is either playing the game, watching the game, or doesn't even know it could be in the game. So having that empathy and that understanding around the grassroots um, side of sport and how that works and the difference that makes to people's lives and those stories that you can bring to life over time, um, for me, is really important. So I like that dot, dot joining piece. Uh, and that's something that I always try and do, but always go back and go, it, it, how many times has somebody introduced you to someone? It's been really useful. You've had a great business conversation. It's led to something. Always go back to that person and just let them know how how useful and important that was and how thankful that you are. And um, yeah, relationships for me, uh, everything. And that comes across, I think, in, I think if you spoke to anyone that's worked for me in the past or my current team, that would definitely be a thing. But also just not taking, I don't take myself too seriously. And I'm not bothered who gets the credit for whatever happens, so long as it happens and, and the impact is is made. So, um, you know, obviously as CEOs, you're the face of the organization and you're the one that's talking about that, but it's never an I, it's always a, it's 
always a we. Um, and people sometimes push you on the eye and you're like, no, it definitely wasn't. And it, and it isn't ever just you. There's always people that have contributed and do contribute. Your role is to just make sure it happens and you know that you give people that support to, to enable them to, to do the things they need to do that contribute to that bigger picture. Um, but I guess the, the thread is always about relationships. And even when you leave an organization, um, the, the world is a small place. So always leave well, you know, always leave well. And, and I've thankfully been able to do that. And I'm really proud of that. And I've got friends and networks all over the place as a result that you can just pick up the phone and go, yeah, about this. Do you know about that? What's happening there? Or if you see something that's gone on and maybe someone's had a pretty crappy day, like just give them a little nudge and say, it's, you know, tomorrow's a new day. It's going to pass. Like that sort of stuff obviously relates to my empathy, but it, but it really matters. And you gave a couple of examples of really positive um, experiences of work alongside Chris Brindley and then Gary Neville. Um, but, you know, all of us have had situations where we've been in an environment that's not been particularly healthy, that we've not really felt comfortable in, that we've thought, Oof, actually, if I was in that position, I wouldn't do it that way. What are the sort of things that you think, you know, occasionally you've felt, Oof, that I'm not enjoying this? And what, what, what are the things that you would avoid as a leader in terms of implementing with the team? Um, I think for me, like I am fortunate. I've been in great, great working environments and I've not had too much of that. Typically where I've sort of experienced that, it's either through a role I've had maybe as a trustee or um, on another board or with an individual or, you know, a partner that you've got to work with that you just don't have the same philosophy. You know, not everybody is high on empathy, and I appreciate it can be a super strength. It can also be a weakness, just like being direct can be really positive. You know, it depends on the roles that you're doing and the people and your ability to understand the people that you're working with. But often for me, where I've seen things not work great is where a lot of ego is involved. And sadly, in sport, that, you know, that that can be a thing, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, you know, people people can be quite protective, I think, you know, when they when they either get into a role or their organization where there's ego involved they they sort of close up and it's you know how you couldn't possibly collaborate because that would weaken your organization wrong like it would absolutely strengthen your organization and for me my philosophy is we don't need to worry and I don't mean this in an arrogant way at all. We don't need to worry what these organizations are doing because this is what we do and this is what we do really well. We obviously keep a watching brief of what's going on, but actually how does what they do complement or could we work together to strengthen this, which is to the benefit of the whole industry, as an example. Um, I don't like it when people are not honest and transparent. I don't like it in organizations where they want to keep people in certain boxes and don't have that support or value those people and don't invent the environment that creates the people. Um, because I think it's naive. It's naive in this day and age. Um, and I am not a fan of that. Um, I think in defense of some people or organizations, sometimes people are under pressure. You don't always know the pressure that they're either under personally or professionally. And I think sometimes that can create behaviors that maybe wouldn't be typical of them. Sometimes 
their behaviors are their behaviors. And I think as a leader, it's really important that you set the tone in terms of the behavior that's acceptable or not. And I think where some leaders fail is where they don't address that and they allow certain behaviors to, to happen. Um, I think that's wrong. And it, and that can mean you've got to have the difficult conversations, which for somebody like me can be quite challenging. However, I remember having a situation in an organization that I worked in and um, had the difficult conversation. I could sort of see the ripple effect of something that was going on. And, you know, you're trying to support people and, you know, give them a bit of a lens on them and go, you know, this is, you know, maybe you want to think about this or, or that whole developmental piece, which which is very natural to me. But then there comes a point where you go, yeah, they're not getting it. And it's actually now starting to disrupt um, and cause a problem within the organisation. And then you have a choice as a leader. Do you sort of bury your head in the sand a bit and crack on and hope? Or do you address it? Even if addressing it is really difficult. Um, but you have to. Because if you don't, the respect levels, I think, of the team in terms of the trust that they have in you as their leader and, you know, your ability to make the right decisions will go down. And at early-ish to a point in, it, probably not early, mid, mid-career, there was, a, there was a moment like that. And I remember uh, chatting through with somebody and just getting a bit of advice and then having a conversation and difference when that outcome had, had, had been resolved and from the team, you almost saw this just relief from them in terms of, oh God, and we can move, we can sort of move on. Um, and I had not appreciated the impact that that difficult thing for me would have had on them. So I think for leaders, it's not about being everyone's friend. You can care and you can value people, but you also have to have that professional that ultimately sometimes you're going to have to make a call as a CEO that not everyone's going to agree with, not everyone's going to like, but you can still do it in the right way. So a big philosophy piece for me is not what, but how. Not what, but how. And I I, I can sleep at night. There's not a single decision I think I've made in my career that I wouldn't make again. I might do it slightly differently, but I've always done it with the thought of there's a human being at the end of this and they've got a life and you need to treat somebody well because you would expect that for you. Brilliant. What a great uh, way in which to end our conversation in terms of your leadership style. One last thing I want to just leave with today is to let people know how they get involved with women in business because, as you mentioned earlier, it's not just something females are involved in. We want men engaged with this agenda as well. So tell us, how can we get involved? Yep. So really simple. You go onto the Women in Football website, you click on join us um, and then you fill in a short registration form. It's free to join Women in Football. So there's no cost there. Um, And then you're in the family. We offer a whole range of different networking events, CPD events. We've got a number of women's World Cup watch parties that that we're doing with different partners. If you're an organization that works in or supports the football industry, whether you're a club or, you know, you're a legal firm, financial, whatever, and you want to get more involved, we have a corporate member program, which basically means that, you know, your organization could be part of that, that, um, scheme and there's a whole range of support and services that we can give back to your organization that is that is a charge but um it's it's 
very, very valuable. Um, and, you know, there's different CPD. So, for example, our leadership course, if you're a corporate member, you get access to a certain number of places on that. Our leadership course has a 100% net promoter score in terms of the value. I mean, it's it's scores like that are unheard of. And I, it blows my mind every time we do a course and we're surveying people and that's what they're saying. But that's the power of some of the stuff that we do because it's so specific to the industry. Obviously, it's got those broader broader themes, but they, there's a lot of relational stuff that women working in the industry can certainly um, sort of get. So, yeah, we – and equally, sponsors. We have a whole range of sponsors that we work with, and if anybody's interested in getting involved at, at, at such an amazing time, then, yeah, just um, – they can drop me a note. <laughs> Find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yvonne, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, really some fascinating insights, both in terms of your career, but also, I'm sure – tips and tricks that people will take away from this. So thanks very much for coming into the Downtown Den. And I really look forward to continuing this conversation at our Business of Sports event in September. Thanks, Yvonne Harrison. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. So that was Yvonne Harrison in the Downtown Den talking about leadership. And if you want to hear more from Yvonne and Gary Neville uh, and many others from the industry of sport, then don't forget to join us at our Business of Sport conference on the 7th of September at Old Trafford Cricket Stadium. Um, it's going to be a great day. And if you've not booked your ticket yet, uh, get a move on because uh, we've not got many left. Um, so thanks to Yvonne and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another leader in our latest series in the Downtown Den podcast. Mm-hmm.